Hey, what's up, everyone? Thank you so much for tuning to another episode of the Financial Grio, aka TFG. We're here, we love to just share our stories and more or less just perception of what's going on in our lives and getting in tune with stories that accounts for wealth building and being the best version for ourselves, for our community, and sharing actionable steps to help you to get a better version of yourself. My name is Atlanta Elson, one of three of the co-hosts of TFG. And I'm here. This, this is actually a pack episode today. Uh, well, a little bit, sort of, kind of. One of our other co-hosts, Lovely, is not here at the moment, but she's here in spirit. I do have my other co-host, Lawrence, who's shaking his head, because I know you're going to say something very petty <laughs> about Lovely, but she's working. She's is in yeah, she's, she's getting she's, she's getting some work done, but she's not she's not here in spirit. She ain't trying to she's be She's here, here in, spirit. in spirit. She's here in I, spirit. I know you're Lovely. in denial. Beyonce is gone. <laughs> we're, we're on our own now. <laughs> you're in denial. No, we're not in denial. We love you, Lovely. We know you have a busy, crazy season right now, but we are definitely uh looking after you and you know keeping you in our prayers and everything that's going on but today episode is awesome because we have another guest an awesome guest um miss stephanie gonzalez we actually met at fincon yes we are collabing like crazy <laughs> we met at fincon this year in orlando florida stephanie is incredible we briefly talked a bit but i do currently follow you on ig and i think your story is amazing it's one of the things that we just love to share on our podcast with these stories and i think that um when it comes to just women in this community um more rep- representation is not shown enough because not only women are not in this you know space but also women of color is not in the space. Um, Stephanie, I, I can get in so much of details of your bio, <laughs> but I just want you to kind of share and tell the people who you are. Thank you very much. This is a very generous um, welcome to the podcast. But yeah, so Stephanie Gonzalez, I was born and raised in Texas, and I really didn't get out of Texas for the longest time. I mean, I think I started traveling internationally with my job. Um, but I met my husband 11 years ago and his mindset was really interesting to me. You know, he essentially took a sabbatical right when I met him and moved to Europe. And I was like, oh, I really like this guy. Don't know if we're going to hit it off and like stay connected. And sure enough, we did. And seven months later, I found myself in, landing in Barcelona to do three weeks with him in Europe. And then he moved back to Austin with me. And the rest is history, right? So we are 11 years together, seven years married. And we have now traveled from Texas to Singapore, where my job had taken me about four years ago on an expat assignment. We grew our family um, by two young boys that are still under the age of four right now. And I left my 15-year career back in April this past year um, because we had been pursuing FIRE, financial independence, retire early, um, and we are partial FIRE. So, you know, one thing that I have been talking about a little bit more is that it's not an all or nothing concept. You can really um, make of this what you will and what you really want your life to look like and what you want it to be designed like. Um, But I worked for 15 years in information technology at one of the top three global PC firms, Um, not HP, not Lenovo, the other one. So if you want to read between the lines, you can choose which one that is. Stephanie Shady. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, I was actually looking up how they're doing uh, market-wise this morning because I'm a geek like that. It's very, very bad. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I loved what I did. Worked in the supply chain, eventually became a global leader, loved the team that I worked with. And what I tell people is 95% of it was amazing until it wasn't. And I think a lot of it was being a woman, being a woman of color, navigating my life as not only a mom, but also a wife and recognizing that the hustle culture, if you will, or the way that I just allowed myself to work 60 plus hours a week. And then COVID happened, right. And everyone in the supply chain or COVID was really besides themselves. Enough was about enough for me. Um, And I found myself even needing to go to therapy and couples therapy with my husband, just to really work through what was going on with me internally for a couple of years. Um, And the funny thing was, it's funny now, obviously in the moment, it's not then Uh, our therapist asked my husband and I to take a step back and just think about like, what would be our worst case scenario if I left my job? Because I I was, my, my identity was tied up in my job. Um, I was obviously very scared of walking away from a very uh, high paying salary and everything, you know, up, 
up until the, you know, the last 15 years was all this job. Um, and when we did that, we really walked through our budget. We start, we were, uh, Dave Ramsey, you know, initial followers at the very beginning, and we were paying off all of our debt. Um, and when we really put our financial plan together, and of course I love spreadsheet, I ran that spreadsheet about 50 times and recognized that, Hey, in about two, three, four years, I could have walked, I could walk away from this career if I really wanted to, and like literally retire. Um, and of course I started sharing my journey on Instagram and I tell people, and I told, you know, um, you know, my boss, whenever I left, this was something that just grabbed my heart and it wouldn't let go. It was something that I felt like there was a tremendous opportunity to have conversations, to normalize the conversations around money, to normalize conversations that couples should be having about money and to normalize the discussion that we as women in the workplace need to be having about money and what you know a sound emergency fund looks like to allow us to have options to feel comfortable negotiating that salary and maybe getting a no or taking that leap of faith and going to another job because we feel like it's the right thing for us or taking a step back if we need to. Um, so that's a long-winded way of saying in, the, in an emotional way, how we've gotten to where we've gotten to, um, you know, but we've dabbled in real estate. We're index fund investors. We're going to really start uh, drilling into our dividend strategy soon. And, you know, this is a place where you can constantly learn. And that was the reason why I stayed at, at my job for 15 years. I was constantly learning. I was constantly challenged. And now I'm doing the same thing here in this space, but I just get to make an impact um, on people's lives and meet people like you guys all over the world. That? Yeah, that's, that's, ooh, that's, again, I told you guys, this will be an incredible story. You have an amazing story, how you pivot from the tech industry and decided mm -hmm. to do um, financial literacy or financial education. Um, why um, specifically targeting women? Um, yeah. Is it because I, I know you, you touch on a lot of things when it comes to us not really being represented in the space, a lot of women of color not represented in the space, but why not just the family structure? Why just only women? I'm, I'm curious. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, to be transparent, I do have a YouTube channel with my husband where we're focused on couples and money and um, it's titled permission to be wealthy. And so I get to, you know, scratch that itch in that space with him, which is great because we are navigating this ongoing right. journey as a couple together. So that's one thing, but as it, as it relates to women, women's wealth effect, I always saw, and I personally got to feel just the tremendous amount of clarity, control, and confidence that I gained through financial independence. And as I looked around at work, I saw amazing women with tremendous potential doing awesome things, but I knew that some, some of them were suffering in silence, just like I was. And it, we were in an actual session, uh, at FinCon talking about trauma and there is a level of trauma that I have coming out of the corporate world. Cause I was literally crying in that session, sharing my story with everyone talking about how we need to be mindful about how we talk about leave your 95 and go be an entrepreneur, because that isn't necessarily the message that we want to tell everybody. Some people love their nine to fives. Some people are suffering in silence in their nine to fives. And some people are on the other side in an entrepreneurial capacity doing one or the other as well, right? Life is not easy. And so we have to be careful about how we're talking about that. Um, but I just felt this deep need of being able to, to create a platform specifically for women and career women of color, because I, I personally experienced it. And I could see as I was having more conversations with women that they felt the same way. Um, and then of course you look at the statistics, right? Um, how much women are paid versus a man in, in the, in the workplace. And then you break that down by race. It's startling, right? As a Latina, Latinas are paid 51 cents on the dollar to a man, right? And so I was like, wow, how can this be? I mean, we're in the, we're 2022, <laughs> surely we've made more progress. And then I started to really look at, okay, we live longer and we need to have our, our retirement last longer for us as well. Um, and so as I've actually navigated through the coaching space and gotten to work with clients more one-on-one -on -one, and I asked them like, why did you choose to do this? And they were like, because of you, you look like me, you talk like me you make this relatable for me. Um, and that's every single person really at the end of the day. And so that tells, I mean, until I, I stopped to hear that, that tells me that there's a need. 
Yeah, representation matters. <laughs> we need more people that look like us in these spaces that mm-hmm. can um, relate to the information, but also can relate to the experience that Absolutely. we're going through as well. Um, yeah. Can you touch on some things that you talk on, you know, on your podcast? Well, on your YouTube channel mm-hmm. with your husband, can you, you talk mm-hmm. about couples navigating finances and such what mm-hmm. do you think one is the one of the biggest you know topics or something kind of difficult to speak yeah. with um in terms of couples and finances yeah I think that we when we meet our significant other it's like all love and romance and you're excited and you go through all these emotions and when you really take a step back and you start to get to know each other and you get to know each other, to, you know, you peel, you peel back the onion, right? Money brings up a lot of things that wouldn't be brought up otherwise for people. And when you're in a relationship with someone that can be amplified through a lot of different ways when you, when you're talking about money. Um, and I just released a, a free mini course. And one of the first modules in there is a journaling exercise. It's eight questions about money. It's mindset, right? Um, but the people that I've spoken to over the last week, a number of them have just recently gotten married. And I really encourage them to have this conver- these this journal kind of conversation with their significant other, like do it together, but do it apart. Because the way that my husband grew up and the way that I grew up, we're both Mexican. He's half Mexican, half black. I'm full Mexican. And while we do have some similarities in the way that we grew up, we have very different realities about what our family life was growing up. And there's no way that I can appreciate the things that he went through and the experiences that he had and the way that he really sees and emotionally connects to money without having tough and difficult conversations. Because the reality is, is the conversations are tough. They're very vulnerable. They're very stripped down. Um, And the fact that we've decided to retire early is requiring us to really do that work because it's not like we're both waiting to 65 and then deciding to spend all this time together. We're 38 and we're spending way more time together today than we ever have. It's almost like I was the 65 year old man that came home to retire and, and, you know, be around my wife all the time. And in a way he was kind of annoyed by me for a little bit because, you know, Stephanie had to figure out how to be Stephanie outside of her work capacity for a little while. Um, And not only are we going to spend a lot of time together, but we're also going to still experience a lot of growth through the rest of life together. And money's still going to surround that, right? So um, I think it's just giving examples of what our conversations are, some of the struggles that we had in figuring out how to communicate about money. He's really, really good at some things and has some really amazing strengths at certain things. And I have some strengths in other ways. And we have to figure out how to balance each other out. Like he's the visionary. I'm the executor. I love Excel. I love to get into the details. He, he wants to stay a little bit of the, in the clouds with some of it. And that's okay because he gets me thinking about things in different ways that I never would have. I mean, honestly, he was seeding me fire for a little over five years and I didn't listen for the longest time until we like really got into needing to talk about it. Um, and so he always knew, I think that this was the vision for some shape, form or fashion in our lives. Um, I needed to be ready to hear the message and ready to take those steps with him. And he was really patient with me for years. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and I like how you tied in the semi-retirement along with mm-hmm. the conversation of money, because for, I guess for the most part, and I guess it's the buzzword when it comes to um, fire and retiring, mm-hmm. people kind of like connect that with not doing anything. <laughs> like you're just living <laughs> off this money, this lump sum of money that you have yeah. accumulated all these years. But in this case, you, you still are... I guess, uh, working in your purpose and you Mm -hmm. found your purpose with, um, creating a space for not only uh, couples and financial space, but also for women of color in order Mm -hmm. to kind of build those tools and the mindset to create wealth. So that's great. And I think with the couple aspect is when you think about, uh, retiring or potentially retiring, however that looks like for you, Mm -hmm. you have to remember the person 
you are, but the person you would potentially be. And it's so important to have those really vulnerable conversations with your significant other. Cause like you Mm -hmm. mentioned, I'm just really happy you're transparent about it is um, you're going to spend a lot of time. If you want to semi-retire with your, your partner and your children, and you have to Mm -hmm. navigate and have these conversations of how that potentially is going to look like, because Mm -hmm. it's not, you know, beautiful all the time, you know, marriage is not beautiful all the time, but it's, it's evolving growth. And it's one Mm -hmm. of those things that we don't speak enough when it comes to this. Like, I think with social media and the internet, they kind of just put this beautiful cherry on top thinking, you know, potentially of course the ice cream is going to melt at at some point. Right. Um, and we have to kind of talk about how real and authentic that looks um, a semi-retiring. So it's just one of those things of the emotional work around, um, what we want to do and our partners and, um, what that would take in, in form of, you know, semi-retiring, um, LG, what do you think about when it comes to like fire and the Dave Ramsey? Cause Stephanie and her husband has done it all, but I think they kind of tailor it towards what works for them. I remember you mentioned it at some point where you take information from here and there and see mm-hmm. what um, applies for you. Yeah, I think, um, you, you know, while, you, while you're talking, it's almost like I wanted to kind of step back a bit because I'm a guy, like I'm a guy in this space listening. And and it's always very interesting because I grew up in a household um, just of pretty, pretty much all women. I was the only guy around, the only boy around for a very long time. Like anytime a, a new person will pop up, it'd be like a new cousin is another girl pop up. So it was never in the situation where I've, I've ever seen a, uh, in my family structure where I existed in a group of other men. I've always existed in a group of other ladies. And in some ways they never really talked to me, but I'm, I can listen to what they're not saying sometimes, the way that they were unhappy with some uh, circumstances. And one of those things that reminded me of in your conversation, Stephanie, is the fact that you had a very supportive um, spouse within all of this as well. Having the right spouse is is an incredible junction. I don't think it could be understated at any point that that is probably the the, the key to wealth itself. Because your story reminds me a bit as well as uh, Andy Hill of the Marriage, Kids and Money where he's the one that's the, the, the financial one, right? And his, um, his wife is very supportive. So it's kind of like, it, it's not just a woman or a man or a man or a woman. It's just either side, either partner could take on these roles and then you find something completely new. And that's, that's something completely powerful. It's my opinion. So, yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with you. And we were actually having this conversation last night at dinner. Um, there, there have been multiple times when Joseph's having a conversation on the phone and he's like around a friend or a cousin or something. And he gets off the phone and they're like, Oh, were you talking to your business partner? Cause my husband's been an entrepreneur for the last seven years. And he's like, no, that's my wife. And I'm like, you talk to your wife like that? He's like, yes, we like, we are partners. Um, and it, it, and that's true in so many ways, right? He's now like in a way, my business coach, right? He's been doing this thing for seven years and seen great success, but has lived all the ups and downs and still living a lot of the ups and downs of being an entrepreneur. And he's gracious enough to like stop his day and help me because he believes that much in what I do and the mission that I am setting out to, you know, to, to, to drive and support. Um, but you know, we, we do have our days and our moments where we aren't seeing eye to eye and we've had to figure out how to communicate so that we can get through those things. But yeah, finding the right partner. I see so many stories of, you know, why things didn't work out for people. And I really think, thank my lucky stars that not only have we found each other, but that we're willing to do the work and understand that we have to give ourselves individual space to be our own individual selves, um, but also grow so that we can, you know, continue to build this life together um, at the end of the day. Yeah, that's, 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 I guess that's the power of supportive partner, right? Um, Mm -hmm. It can really change the entire trajectory of your life um, for the greater good or not so, you know, better outcome, yeah. right? Um, can you explain to us, because you mentioned fire and you also mentioned semi-fire. Can you explain what's what's the difference? I know it's a lot of, yeah. you know, uh, terminologies floating around. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so full, if you want to call full fire, right? Full fire is you have this number that you need to get to to accomplish the ability of being 
fully financially independent. You don't have to work. You can live off of those investments with 95% certainty or more in perpetuity, right? With this 4% withdrawal. A lot of um, different creators call partial barista, uh, you post know, fire, semi, yeah. semi fire, right? Um, it's, it's being able to get to that number to maybe 50% or 75%, whatever it is, but it allows you to maybe step away from a job completely for a bit of time or take a lower paying job. That's maybe more aligned with your values and the passions that you, you know, really are excited about, or maybe one of you and not both of you, right. Can step away, which for me, I stepped away. My husband is still generating income from his business and we're continuing to invest to continue to get to our full fire number. And I'm hoping that I'll be able to build my business to continue to contribute to that as well. But I don't feel the pressure of having to like make money day one with women's wealth effect, right? I really just want to do it right. I want to listen to my customers and my community. And I want to see what fits right, not only for them, but even for me to make this sustainable, right? Um, and so, so there's that. And Coast Fire is you have invested enough to where you don't have to invest any longer to be able to reach your fire number at some point in time, whether that's 65 or maybe you've invested enough so that you don't have to invest anymore and you can retire at 50, right? We just happen to be at a point of partial fire at the age of 38 and our plan is to be a full fire by 40. That's in two more years. <laughs> that's <Yeah>. awesome. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I, you know, right now, you know, and with, with this market, right. It feels a little daunting to go, oh, are we going to be able to, you know, meet that? But one of the reasons that we decided to move to Portugal and there's a ton of reasons, right. Is it's a lower cost of living country. We were living in one of the third highest cost of living countries before in Singapore. So there was no way our fire plan really worked in Singapore. <laughs> um, but it's a lower cost of living country compared to where we could have gone. And that's helping us also be able to make sure that we can continue to cut back on expenses or at least live in a, in a way that we want to expense and spending wise to continue to support our goals. Absolutely. Um, in, in terms of working right now, you're in Portugal with your um, family. In terms of working and he's an entrepreneur, you're an entrepreneur, um, you guys are building your businesses. What kind of concerns is it with the entire, you know, the time difference, um, working remotely? What's that? Yeah. Well, it feels like a, you know, a cakewalk right now for me because I was up every night on, you know, late night conference calls before in Singapore. Like when you work in Asia and headquarters is in the U.S., while it's great. And I had a team fully in Asia, I still had my boss and all of the executives to, to work with back at home. Um, so now, you know, really my word this year and, and 2023 is probably going to be the same is going to be balance and boundaries because I know myself, I will work myself into the ground. Um, if I let myself, and that's not what this was all for. This was all for, you know, making sure that I could really enjoy life. I could spend time with my kids that I could, you know, wake up in the morning and feel refreshed and not feel so just drained that I just put myself on autopilot and kept going on the next day. So for me, I only take coaching calls in the afternoon between one and four o'clock, only Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, Monday and Friday. I really block off to prioritize how I want to spend my time, whether it's things for the family or some very specific strategic things that I want to do for the business, but I am not on the phone on Monday and Friday. That's just what I've established from the beginning, because if I didn't, I, it would be a slippery slope. Um, but I, I set my calendar for 10 AM to 4 PM Tuesdays through Thursdays. And I work through what I need to do um, for my husband. It's been great because he's been able to get on calls more one-on-one -on -one with clients, real estate agents and loan officers. So I think it's really been a good thing for him while he was in Asia, though, he was able to build, you know, a team of virtual assistants in the Philippines. So it was great from a proximity perspective while we were in Asia, he used that as a great opportunity to scale his business. Like the amount that he has scaled and the, the amount that he has delegated uh, power to him. Cause I'm not a very good delegator. I, I like to do everything by myself, which is really, it's a learning. It's a, it's a development opportunity that I have. Um, but yeah, I think there's the time element there's also, you know, we're, we're meeting with a lot of tax professionals right now and trying to figure out, okay, our businesses are in the U.S. We are going to be on a residency visa here. What does that mean? There will be dual taxation for us because we'll have to pay U.S. taxes and taxes here in Portugal. So it's all about making sure that we can be uh, more knowledgeable instead of getting slapped in the face with the tax bill next year. And I, I got to navigate through like what's the most optimal way to... Um, 
establish my business? Is it LLC? Is it something else? Um, Because I've heard a lot of different things with other entrepreneurs here um, in Portugal. And so we've been using our network here as much as we possibly can to just get names of people that we can talk to. Um, And it's just been a really great open community. I'm seeing uh, an uh, increase of um, expats, um, primarily with a lot of Americans moving to Mm -hmm. Portugal. If I'm not mistaken, in in MSNBC, I think, or CNBC or one of those uh, media outlets. It's like a, a great migration going on in Portugal right now. Way. Yeah. <laughs> have you seen the expansion of that? I, I do. I have. And they've taken it a step further. There's a digital nomad visa that Portugal has announced. It's actually open on Monday, the 31st of October. Let me look that up. (laughs) Yeah, there's a certain income requirement associated to it. And from what I've heard, it's very similar to the D7. But um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've met so many people, I mean, even that live like down the road from Austin, Texas that are here that are now good friends of ours, right, that just happen to be here at the same time now. And we're like, wow. Um, But people are moving here for a lot of different reasons. And they want to raise their families in a, you know, a safe they want to feel safe about where they're going to school and the healthcare is great. Um, there's a lot of culture and they're inspired by getting out of their norm and doing something different together as a family, which, you know, was a lot of the reason why we wanted to be here too. But, um, it, you can feel it in the pricing of housing right now, for sure, especially in places like Lisbon. Um, while I would love to say that we're going to land here longer term, it's not part of our fire plan in terms of the you know, how much we want to pay for housing, but, um, there's plenty of places in Portugal that are beautiful and have a lot of the same things that we're looking for. So we're excited about navigating that in the next year. That's interesting. For one, the first um, part I remember that you just discussed is the, the allure of entrepreneurship and the idea that at least from a social media perspective, everybody seems to have a great time, but yet there mm-hmm. is real work that you have to do. And that work requires that you even set boundaries for yourself and set a schedule. A lot of people don't have that. And I, I guess the people that we've been talking to, you find out that, hey, they have some hard cutoff. Like I, I don't work on weekends. I don't work on Mondays. I don't work on this day. And it's interesting to see because that's part of the, the the struggle for a lot of people when they do go on their own, they forget that you're now working for yourself, which I didn't like my boss. I still don't like my personal boss. I'm pretty sure I'd be a worse boss to myself. That's why I'm still working nine to five. On top of that, I, I wanted to see your perspective or maybe um, I've seen, basically I've been reading a lot about it. I've been reading a lot of contention because the pandemic kind of opened up the world. So you're now finding a lot of people moving to different countries and destabilizing their economy there and making it harder for the people that live locally. So at least right right now, I personally want to go to Portugal. Like I I want to live out there or or Brazil, one or the other, but I'm still kind of aware that that's probably going to become an issue. How does the local Mm -hmm. populace currently feel about this influx of immigrants, I guess, express or emigrates or yeah. immigrants <laughs> they're immigrants yeah. you know they're immigrants yeah that's it that's yeah. immigrants yeah Technically, it's, they're, they're immigrants. the same yeah. thing they're the same thing yeah it's a uh, call yourself an expat call yourself an immigrant but they're the same thing um you will talk to locals especially if you're in a cab right and you can have a very open conversation and you know, I can imagine what it is like to be here and see, you know, the cost of housing just skyrocket and in a way be, feel like you're being displaced. I think at the same time, the Portuguese government is trying to figure out ways in which they can continue to grow and support and boost the economy here in Portugal. Um, And I think while there's a lot of good intention, there are growing pains associated to it, right? Like in some cases, you know, people may be coming here to live here and just not spend any money here, right? They don't spend a lot of time here, right? And that's not the ideal, right? If you want to go and drive all these programs for people to move here, you certainly want them to continue to spend and invest in the country, right? And that was actually one thing that my old coach who is is retiring here, my old executive coach um, at my job, my old job, she and her husband are retiring here. And they're, um, she mentioned that to me. She was like, I really hope you give some thought to just the local population when you think about moving to Portugal and what it's like for them, you know, and, and how do you want to make an impact on the community, not just go live there to live there. And I I think that's a really great perspective because if we want this to be a longer term thing for us and for our children who are still under four, right, we got a long ways to go. 
I want them to be able to thrive with their friends who are, I, I, I don't want to just live in an expat community here. I want to live along with locals here and I want to be able to experience the culture. And um, we've got to figure out how as expatriates or immigrants that we can help here too. I don't know the answer, but it's something that's been on my mind because I see it every day. Thank you for adding to that. I think that's very important to note, especially in from the American standpoint, because we're very centrist in the way that we live in America or in the US. And it's always interesting to see how we travel to other places. Do we really partake in what it is? Do we really kind of like in, in almost engross ourselves into what's going on on a day-to-day level? Or do we just go in there to kind of like live the life? <laughs> you know, yeah. take the photos, look great, you know, for the moment and everything is, it's a, and it's an amazing filter for social media yeah. versus the truth is that every day is just kind of a normal day. <laughs> just live over yeah. Here. And I even got that feedback when I was in my old role, right? I, I heard, Hey, you know, while I was in Singapore, you'll meet amazing people and just know that sometimes locals may not necessarily open too much up to you because they know you're going to leave in two years. I was like, oh, I never thought about it that way, right? Because there's such a transient community of people coming in and out, coming in and out. I was very fortunate that I, I've made amazing friendships living abroad and I'm expecting the same thing here, right? I feel like these friendships that you make whenever you're living in another country are so different than what they're like back at home. But my brother, who also lived in Singapore for a while, and now he's in Indonesia, he's learning Bahasa and when I go to Indonesia to, to visit him, they look at me and they're like, oh, he's your brother? I'm like, yes, he's my brother. And they're like, oh, we thought he was Indonesian. I'm like, because he really loves the culture here and he's really wanting to experience it full out. And so I I see him as an example and I see what our experience is like here. Like, I almost feel bad when somebody wants to speak English to me. I'm like, please bear with me. Like, I know my Portuguese, Portuguese is horrible, but I'm going to get there, right? Um people really go out of their way to make Americans and others that are not here very comfortable. And I think you just have to be mindful about that whenever you're in another country. Oh, that leads, that's a cool, you bringing up your brother being also overseas. How does your family mm. feel about like your mom and dad? <laughs> like, I, cause I know in the Haitian culture, that'd be like, a, uh, you know what I'm saying? Why are you so far? Why are you trying to live over there? What's yeah. so wrong over here? Why don't you not close down the street? You know, how do yeah. they feel? I guess it's, it's always a great opportunity to see your kids thrive and, and go yeah. beyond and really kind of live their lives. But at the same time, it's a little bit str- of a struggle as a parent. You know, you're like, mm, I don't know. So no, how do they feel right. about it? Do they, do they ever even vocalize it? Do they, or do they just sit in the corner like, mm, mm. Yeah. The person that's the most vocal is my mom and my two grandmothers. My mom, when she found out we were moving to Singapore and at the time we were like, telling her, Hey, we're going to get ready to start growing a family. And she's like, what you're going to now take my future grandchildren to another country. Like what the, you know what? And I remember it being very shocking to me that that was her reaction, because if there was anyone that really instilled a lot of the, um, independence and values I have as a woman in myself, it was my mother. And then of course, you know, a couple months later, she comes around and she's like, I know that this is everything I wished for you. So like, awesome. I can't wait to come see you. Of course, COVID happened and she was never able to come see us, but you know, I think there's the emotional initial reaction, but for my family, there's also this like pride that, wow, like our kids are doing these things now COVID made it harder. And I think that was one thing that I saw with our experience in Singapore. A lot of people left back home because COVID made it harder for people to go back and see their families, right? So when you're in another country and you can just go home whenever you need to, to go see whoever or be there for a family event and whatnot, it's just so much easier to travel these days. But with the restrictions that happened, it was very hard. And we had our second kid during COVID um, and he still hasn't been back to the US. None of my family back at home besides my mom and my brother have met him. So, you know, everyone's asking when we're coming back, we're hoping to come back early next year after we get our residency, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, there's an initial emotional reaction, but everybody's happy now. A lot of FaceTime. A lot of FaceTime with all the family members. (laughs) Go ahead, Lana, with your question. I hear typing because I'm not gonna steal your question like you steal my questions, but it's I okay. steal all questions. <laughs> it's, it's there, it's you're sharing it, so I'm stealing your question if I'm talking. <laughs> no, um, when I was reading your bio as well, um, mm-hmm. it, it did tune to me that you paid off four hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Let me repeat that: four hundred and twenty 
thousand dollars of debt. And in um, you mentioned about 2021 during a pandemic a year later, you became a millionaire. Can you just talk about that? Like what, what, what was amount of money? Like as an accountant, taxation, uh, like the, the numbers are like rolling in. I'm like, <laughs> I, had to, I had to work through the, I had to write, like work through the numbers like three or four times. Wow. Just Can to you? be like, wait. Yeah. So the big piece on the 420 is we we paid off our house. Right. Like, so okay. while I think a lot, a lot of us look at the debt piece outside of the mortgage, right. Cause there's still so much debt, school loans and all these things that 420 included our home. And that was a really big helper in the sense that, and you know, again, kudos to Dave Ramsey and the perspective that he has in the paying off debt piece. But the, the challenge I had with it, looking back at it all was like, well, should we have made that decision? Cause at the time we could have actually invested that money versus just paying off the house. Um, so, you know, hindsight is whatever it is. Um, but the big piece around that was the house. Um, but lo and behold, like at the very beginning of all this, I was a big saver. Like I was just saving, 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 saving. I saved along with my husband after we had gotten married I told him, I was like, I just wanted to see that savings account get to 500,000. And then I was going to feel comfortable in my head. Like but we weren't investing at the time. Like I thought having half a million dollars in a savings account was okay. And uh, when, once I realized that that's not okay, then we that were figuring insane. out okay, how do we half a million that? in a savings account. That's insane. Yeah. That's a goal to somebody to have. I'm like, well, yeah. I, want, I wonder what in particular that number like half a million was it just being in the bank savings account yeah too. just just it, it was it just like for me i'm a visual person so i need to see a certain amount you know yeah. so for me it's yeah. just like okay i'm gonna hit this amount what what yeah. in regards to that number that you had to save i just felt like i would be safe with at least that much like if anything happened we were going to be okay especially that okay. mortgage, right? Yeah. Like I could cover that mortgage. I think that was one of, one of the things, but then of course, as I learned more about investing and everything, I was like, this is not the right thing to do. We got to figure out something else. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, over my 15 years, I did nine X my salary. And that by the way, was before the other non-monetary benefits that I had in Singapore. So one example, when I told my husband that I had the opportunity to move to Singapore, he was like, Hmm, let me think about how much we pay in our mortgage and how much we're actually not going to have to pay. And what's that's going to save us over the course of like two, three, two years, like a two-year contract. And it was $72,000. He was like, yes, let's move. Like we're going to be able to like save 72K by moving for this other job on top of what you're going to get paid. Great. And so we really took advantage of everything. We took advantage of the fact that we had free housing. We took advantage of the fact that our healthcare option there was incredibly generous, like paid for everything. So I had my two kids in the most expensive, one of the most expensive healthcare systems fully covered. Their hospital system is like a hotel. I like, I, I don't know how we do what we do in the U S like we've got to figure out a better system there. Um, but yeah, I think while we could have been in Singapore living the life and just like spending all of our money and traveling and doing all these things, well, which we would wanted, we wanted to travel, but COVID didn't allow that. We really took advantage of the opportunity that we were kind of stuck and just saved and invested everything that we possibly could because we should have been. Um, so yeah, I think when we really crunched the numbers and we really set some goals for ourselves, we shocked ourselves that we could over exceed some of those goals because we were learning too, right? We were trying to figure out what, what the right goal was, but the fact that we were essentially living off of my income and everything my husband was making, plus everything else that I had left over was going towards saving and investing. It, it snowballed pretty quick. I wonder in terms of this paying it off, were you, I know you and your husband just really aggressively <laughs> paid off the mortgage and the home. Mm. Was it the moment where just like, it was a moment of relief or do you feel like you still have more work to do? Cause you're mentioning about that you guys are constantly making goals mm -hmm. for yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. Was it like a sign of relief? Cause that's, that's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot. It was definitely, um, I can understand people's perspective when they say like, there is a lot of relief and not, not having to pay any debt, like, and to be able to see like where your money can really go. It's very powerful once you don't have to pay someone else, like, and you're just putting all that in a taxable brokerage and like maxing out all your other accounts. Um, 
But the, the next things for us, we're definitely figuring out our index fund investing. We're now trying to figure out our dividend strategy because for us, you know, when we set out to retire early, we're like, okay, well, we need a two-year emergency fund because of, you know, instances like this, we don't want to sell all of our investments at a loss at this point in time. Um, but we we're like, but how do you refill your emergency fund if you need to, in, you know, in the event of a recession in the future? And we're like, well, maybe we should think about a dividend investing strategy as well so that we can cash flow back into our emergency fund if we ever had to use it in the future, right? And so now we're having conversations with other people who are pursuing fire that are like, index fund investing is great. And yes, that's a, a means of getting there, but there's all these other ways of diversifying your strategy. And if you stop at just dividend investing, I think, I think you're selling yourself short, to be honest, because so many things can happen. And I, I grew up in a world of sales and operations planning where you like had a plan A, plan B, plan C, and like all these other contingency plans. That's the way I look at our investing strategy. And that's the way I coach my clients. I'm talking about scenarios. I'm talking about, okay, here's your plan A, here's your happy path. Here's some variance, right? Like a 2% variance up and down. And if this doesn't work out, here's your fallback plan. But if this doesn't work out, what's the worst case scenario, right? I'm like, don't focus on the worst case scenarios and like the sky is falling because nobody wants to think that way. But at least if you've thought through it, you know what your worst case really could be. And then you're not stuck deer in headlights, not prepared. Because life's going to happen. Life's messy. And, and I can't, a forecast is as good as it is the day that you hit the, like the go button. And then it's just wrong right? Um, they're, they're never perfect. And I think we just have to be okay with that and figure out how to manage it. I love the way that you kind of strategize with your, uh, with your clients, the idea of having multiple mm -hmm. plans and you get, and then they get a chance to pick which direction they want to go. I think that's probably the most important. A lot of times in the past, you'd have um, the older generation of financial um, consultant advisors and planners. They'll be like, do this, do this, do this, or give me all your money and I'll do it yes. for you, that kind of scenario. And I think that really threw off a lot of people or even pushed away um, a, a caveat, a, probably probably half the U.S. population that could have really used a lot of this expertise. So I'm happy to hear that you're providing people with multiple ways they can approach it and they can make that uh, decision um, on their own. To your point, you had a moment there where you're paying, you paid off all your, your home, but you also could agree at the same time that it might not have been the best thing. It's the best emotionally. It's great. In the end of the day, it still works out. But you can also, at the same token, have two ideas in your mindset. Well, maybe it wasn't 100% the way we could have done it in hindsight. And I think that's also very important. A lot of people only think it's just one way or the highway. Or if they did it this way, therefore, it had to be good. Sometimes you just you do it because you're learning. And exactly. your kids will learn from that as well, because you're going to tell them this is what we did and this is what we could have done. So yeah. that's also amazing. Um, I did want to segue to this question because I thought about it while you were talking. Is the American dream dead? Because I, I, I see it all the time. I see it in the news. You know, there's always and then you see the comments because it's not just like you post it. There's the comments and people are like, yeah, it's dead. I'll never get anything. And is the new dream international. Because it seems like everybody uh, that I know that's becoming financially um, independent, they're moving away. Is that the new dream? What do you think? Yeah, it's a really interesting one. Um, I think that there's still a lot of great things that, uh, great opportunities that the U.S. gives you, you know, access to certain things that you may not have access to in other countries. And I think I'm very fortunate to have grown up in the area that I was I just think that as Americans, we sometimes think that it's just, we are all what it is. We're, we're it, we're it. That's solid. Yeah. And when I knew when we moved that we were probably not going to move back. Why? Because I just love learning about other cultures and other people and food and all of that stuff. And I just felt like, I just know we're going to come alive. And we did because that's what the world is. And as we become more globalized, and I, I saw this even just in my old job, right? I worked on a global team and I loved, loved the people that I worked with because I got to learn so much about, you know, people in Ireland and in Indonesia and in Malaysia and in China. And there's these little sub nuances, just like you, you look at Latino culture, like not every Latino is the same. Like somebody that's Puerto Rican from a Dominican, from a Mexican is so very different. Same thing, Chinese versus Malaysian versus Singaporean versus Indian, like so many different things. And 
I think that as more Americans become open to this idea of getting out of our own bubble, it's very natural then to want to go do other things because there's so much out in the world outside of just America. It's not a bad thing. It's just reality. Um, that's how I see it. Uh, but we having an American passport though, I will say gives us a lot of opportunities. And I spoke to so many people when we were making this decision to move to Portugal and they're like, oh, I wish we had that opportunity, but you know, I have this passport and that we don't really have that option. Right. And so we, we have to think about also how fortunate we are that we have, you know, some of the opportunities that we do because of where we came from. Yeah. Thanks for saying that as well. Cause it's something I always kind of reiterate to people I meet along the way, because it's always this idea that America is one of the worst places in the world. But I'm like, I've been to bad places. This is not yeah. as bad as we might think it is. And the idea that we have almost like a golden passport, one of the passports that a lot of people would dream they have. And even when you move overseas, a lot of expats will never get rid of their passport. Why? Because no. there's so much power within it as well. No. So there's an opportunity that's there. And I would also personally recommend people to really see the rest of the world, you know, any other yeah. places. There's 150, you know, plus countries in the world. You could literally go find someplace and 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 not just travel for the sake of taking the photo and, and saying that you were at the resort really just travel to learn something new or even try to see some of the world wonders that exist. Like people built them over a thousand years ago and people are, are still crying about what happened last week. <laughs> it was like uh, 2000 years of human history just in your face, but you're, you're still concerned about a, something that somebody said to you two weeks ago or something like that. It's a little mm -hmm. bit, it puts you into perspective as a person. I would also ask you, cause you've, it seems like your life has taken you from a myriad of, you know, from position to position, opportunities, hard work, so on and so forth. But what would you say to your path to wealth that you would impart upon the audience? What is the path to wealth that you think works out? And something that you even say to your own um, um, kids as, uh, one day. Yeah, I think that being a constant learner and constantly seeking to develop your, your mind is a big component of it. And that was that's one thing that I like to try to seed with the women that I work with is it's all about your mindset and your you craving knowledge and craving understanding the next thing because let's be honest technology has changed the world. Things are changing at a very rapid pace and they they will change forever until eternity. That's just the reality of our world. And so if we believe that we're going to sit back and, you know, today's reality is going to be our reality forever. We're sadly mistaken. Um, and I feel like that is one thing that helped me be successful in my career as I was constantly thinking about, well, I've learned this thing. Now, how can I build off of it and contribute here and add value here? And okay, now I've, you know, proven myself as an individual contributor. I want to be a leader to pay forward my experience and having great leadership to others here at the company. And okay, now I've done a regional team. I want to do a global team. And so I've always thought about, I've just always craved wanting to learn something new and more. I've, I'm motivated that way. If I'm not learning something, I tend to not be very happy. I'm not very motivated. I'm not the best Stephanie that I can be. Um, but I think that from a wealth perspective, if I wasn't willing to look at the next thing for myself in terms of growth and development, while we might have had the money, I wouldn't have been wealthy in my mind and in my mindset. And the Stephanie that I saw two, three years ago in the mirror, I don't recognize her. Like I'm a very different person now because I've allowed myself to look outside of the cubicle, outside of the job. And so from a wealth perspective, it's not just the money in the bank account or in the investment account. It's definitely the way that you're designing your life and the way that you really want to live it. No, that's, that's amazing. Um, and you kind of alluded to this, uh, in terms of your client base and the services mm -hmm. that you, um, offer mm -hmm. to your clients. Cause I do see a lot of the recordings on your IG, um, <laughs> what type of things, cause I know you do career coaching, but what kind of mm -hmm. other things that you tailor towards your um, clients for wealth building strategies? Yeah. I mean, in the beginning, a lot of it is just getting to know your money inventory, right? So you'll, you'll hear me use a lot of supply chain terms because that's what I'm familiar with, but 
when you sit down with someone and you really get into the details of like, what are you really making? And what are you really paying in taxes? And are you using your 401k? And what are you spending? And what's essential, not essential, minimum debt payments, et cetera. And you really just get to basics there. You then ha can have all these conversations, right? Um, whether it's conversations about prioritization, the values that you have, what are your goals? Can you get to those goals? And so I have a mini course that I created, um, launched actually Monday and there's six modules in it. It starts off, um, with a journal exercise, mind over money, making sure that you have at least a good, honest conversation with yourself about your money mindset. Then we get into money inventory, which is like working through your basic numbers and making sure that you understand your reality. Because if we go and try to build wealth or get our money right without not knowing our own reality, we're running blind, which I wouldn't advise that to anyone. Then we talk about debt effectiveness and it's not just pay off debt. It's how do you effectively pay off debt? What's high versus low interest debt? Do you want to pay that off? And what are scenarios in which you can pay off your debt? And is that meaningful to you? Do you care about like not paying that that debt to that debtor anymore? And is that emotionally gratifying to you? Or do you just need to like figure out your plan to gain some peace and know where your money needs to be going? Um, then we move over to FIRE, financial independence, explain what that is. And that that's where I get real excited because I think you start to see the light bulbs go off for people. And they're like, wait, I can retire before 65. And like, what could this look like for me? And it's motivation, especially whenever you can map a simple projection for people. And they're like, oh, so now this is a big, scary number, but I can see how I can get there, right? So it's all about giving people strategy, but some clarity on how to get there. Um, <clears throat> then we go into compound interest and expense ratios, because I think a lot of us are already investing in some way, shape, form, or fashion. And we're like, are we really doing that efficiently? And are we saving as much money as we could be? Or are we paying a bunch of fees? And so those are there are some aha moments with that. And then we move into why women. And I want to be very clear with my audience and those that I work with that I am very passionate about women and women of color in this space. Why? Because there's a lot of support for others <laughs> and women and women of color, I think need that support. And that's where my focus is. And so if you're here for it, great. If you're an ally, great. Let's, let's keep doing this. Right. Um, but I just want to be clear and transparent with my audience about where I want to focus my time and why my message is the way that it is. But we, a lot of that course came out of my experience coaching women over the last three to four months, um, because they were the same questions that I was getting every time. And I wanted to make sure that I had some type of structure to keep giving back to the community. I love it all the way through. I think you, you're really covering a lot of the, the issue points that I, I noted years ago, um, where there's. For example, like I said before, I, I grew up in a household full of women, so they've gone mm -hmm. through this as well, and I've seen it. Some people just allow their spouse to wing it, and they don't even know what's going on in the finances until something catastrophic happens. I had one of my best friends, uh, well, one of my best friend's brothers, turns out that he lost his job for an entire year, and he lied to his wife. <sighs> Like, I'm like, how do you lose your job for an entire year? And, but every day he'd get up, get, you know, kind of pre like ready and go yeah. out. <laughs> like, where did he go? Nobody ever knows. But Who his knows wife, where he went yeah, like his wife was pregnant hours. at the time. Yeah, his wife was pregnant at the time. And it was just because he would always intercept the, the mail. So she never knew what's really going on with everything. And one day she just decided to walk and waddle outside, grab the mail and read it. And it's like your, the home was getting foreclosed on. Wow. It was an insane story. We still don't know where he went every day for an entire year, but he was so afraid to tell his wife that he was just kind of like, he created a whole other reality. And even when people would call him on the phone, he'll say stuff like, hmm, yeah, man, I can't talk to you right now. I'm at work, man. You know, I'm at work. You can't, I can't talk to you right now. So he, it was a very odd, like, to this he, he's day. starting to believe in the lie. <laughs> I'm sure. I yeah. have no we still don't know where he went. So it's very scary. And I think it would be even more um, terrifying for, for um, his spouse or even any spouse. If you just don't know what's going on, if you're, anything would happen to your spouse, do you know what they, um, who do you pay for the electric bill? Who do you pay for yeah. the, the gas, the water, the, right. the mortgage? How much is the mortgage? How much is not? You need to get a lot more active within that space with your own personal finance, instead of just delegating that out as if it doesn't really matter. Yeah, you don't necessarily want to know all the minutia, but you definitely need to have an overview. So I love what you're doing. It's spreading the, the message and really encouraging and empowering people to see that there's 
light outside of this, that it can actually take dominion or control and really understand that. In my opinion, the way you mentioned money inventory, it reminds me of cash flow. I think cash flow is king, not cash, it's cash flow. Yeah. The, yeah. the idea that you know how much money is coming in and how much money yeah. is going out. And when you're empowered to that, that information, you now get the chance to decide plan A, B, C, D, whatever you want to do. It's still your life, but you need yeah. to decide. And that's that's powerful all the yeah. way through. I agree. Yeah, her last name is Gonzalez, so I, I believe in her too. <laughs> <laughs> There's a connection there. <laughs> Were you originally from Austin by any chance? Or are you, you're no, another I'm part from- I'm from San Angelo. It's like a small central West Texas town. Okay. You can actually name, where, where's it close to? <laughs> She's like, ah. think of like Midland and Odessa, like Friday Night Lights, the movie and oh, okay. that oh, whole area. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Cool. It's like uh, Atlanta. She says she's from West Palm. Nobody knows where that is. You're from close to Miami. Just say we're, we're, we're so Americans. You have to make a, a movie reference in order for us to know what you're talking about. Because here in Florida, we we originally from um, uh, Florida. People don't know Florida's massive. Number one and number two, people just know Miami, Orlando, and uh, what's the other one? Real fast. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Like, like, like <laughs> hey, Miami is the only thing that exists. All right. Yeah, that's that's it. That's that's the only thing people know. But o- uh, Orlando and Miami. That's it. Yeah, that's I think know. it's Orlando and Miami. People don't know, don't know the capital of Florida. They don't know what's going on here. But um, thank you again, uh, Stephanie, for coming on our podcast. This this was an incredible um episode, and, and just your journey, your know, trajectory, and changing your mindset, um, providing services to women and couples to um help them and strategize on the different um, options that they can create for themselves. Cause you mentioned about creating the life that you want. And I think that's very powerful because we don't think that we can create the life that we want. We think that there's so many obstacles in our way, or we look at the, you know, the first thing that happened is just massive, uh, um, massive issue that we can't get over that hump. And I think that people hearing your story, hearing the supportive partner, having that uh, tough conversation sometimes can really change the entire trajectory of your life. And you're living the the most soft life that we, <laughs> we joke about a lot uh, in Portugal with your family. And it's the life that you created, a life that you're continuously designing over. So that's, that's beautiful, to be honest. It's very beautiful to hear. And thank you again for coming on. Can you let the people know where they can find you or if they even potentially want to um, hire you yeah, uh, for services? Absolutely. Absolutely. You can find me on Instagram, which is where I'm normally most days at Women's Wealth Effect. I am on Facebook as well. Not very active there, but same name. You can find me on LinkedIn under Stephanie Gonzalez, which, you know, I love LinkedIn because it keeps me connected. I feel like with the corporate world, I scroll there all the time. And then in January, I am launching a podcast and it will be titled Women's Wealth Effect. And, you know, when I initially started Women's Wealth Effect as a company and thought of the name, I just kept thinking, you know, the more money in the hands of women makes an impact, not only on you know, individuals, but on your communities. And so I really want to be able to bring people to the table to have conversations about where are they seeing, you know, women make positive impact in various ways through wealth building and the way that they're building their careers. So I'm excited. I recorded my first episode with someone last week. Yay! Women's Wealth Effect, WWE. <laughs> That's what oh, I, I know. I was, I was like, I don't think I can no, use that. No, I can't, I can't wait. I want to say this though, but I, as, far, as far as a couple, and it's just one of the breakthroughs that I had recently with my wife, I'm like, you know what? Marriage is easy. I think it's actually fairly easy. You find somebody you love and every day is just kind of like a good time. It's not, there's no, nothing really terribly difficult about it. I think doing the self-work, whatever that, that's the challenging part. When we uncover those things, when you get into this long conversation with your spouse, a real conversation, and then you uncover a piece about yourself, about your own trauma in the past, or your own um, insecurities, your own confidence issues. And that's the hard part. I think a lot of people don't know that's not the love part is that's that's just love is love. Love is a simple, you know, concept. You just love a person. That's fine. Love is always eternal. That's just what it is. But that's self-work that you need to do to really challenge and change yourself. Well, it yeah. threw me off. <laughs> like, and that, that moment that you go into that self-work thinking that you're going to go fix your significant other, watch out. Cause you're going to be fixing yourself. Yeah, yeah, I like, tell you that it happens that way every single time. So <laughs> that's exactly what happened. I, I forget what it was, but I was like, wow, that's exactly why I'm like this. So I was like, I, yeah. 
I need to, whoa, this is where my trauma comes from. I think that's the, the funny part. So definitely I would encourage anybody, if you have a significant other, really have real um, conversation with them, open up. It's going to be difficult. And, and for the person, because I tend to be the one that talks more than my wife, because she's more introverted. For, for that person, allow them the time and space to open up. Because my wife needed a good like an hour and a half before we fell asleep, before she started talking. There was a lot of moments of pause. I'm like, are you, are you awake? Are you awake? Yeah. <laughs> so we definitely will be closing out this episode. My name is Lawrence Delva Gonzalez. I am the husbando of the Neighborhood Finance Guy. Uh, you can find me on Instagram and the IG because I love to post. And I have a lot of activity there. So it's really cool. But I'm only one of three of the co-hosts. And the other one is Beyonce. She's not here. She, she definitely, she's working on her solo project. And Michelle, aka Atlanta, she believes that she's gonna be back, but she's gonna drop a solo album. She's gonna leave us. It's all good. <laughs> I can't with you with Lovely. We love you, Lovely. Um, thank you guys once again for tuning into an incredible episode of the Financial Grio TFG. Um, you can find me on IG streets as well as YouTube uh, under Atlanta A L A I N T A. Everything will be under the episode notes, and you can find everyone here on the IG street as well. Thank you again for tuning in. TFG, we're out. Thank you for listening to the Financial Grio podcast, powered by the Wealth Builders Collective. 